Well, we're continuing in our series in 2 Timothy this morning. It's called Nothing to Lose. This is week four. And I've got a question that I've been thinking about. Yes, children, you may go to Children's Church. It'll be a great time there. Um, question I've been thinking about. Who's had the biggest impact on your life spiritually? If you think about your life as a follower of Christ, who's had the biggest impact in your life spiritually? And what characteristics about that person do you respect? What characteristics about that person do you respect? If you think about the Apostle Paul, he was certainly having a significant impact on Timothy's life. I mean, Timothy was a younger believer, somewhere in his 30s, in ministry. It's not like he was about to drop out of the Christian race, about the Christian life. We know that he struggled in a number of areas. He struggled with being timid. He struggled with dealing with conflict and criticism. He was tempted at times to kind of draw back and not use his spiritual gift. But the Apostle Paul, who's awaiting execution in a prison cell in Rome, he's sensing a real urgency, and he's handing Timothy the baton. He's saying, Timothy, you've got to take it from here. And he's not just tasking Timothy with this responsibility. He's saying, Timothy, you've got to find others who will also carry forward God's teaching faithfully as well. Now, I think if you're a true follower of Christ, you've sensed this deep-seated feeling and desire and yearning to be fruitful for Christ. Do you know what I mean? Don't you just have this, it just wells up within you. You just have this desire that God would use you in a unique way, with the gifts that you have, to make an impact for him. Well, this passage in 2 Timothy is going to address that desire that we have to be fruitful for Christ. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you need a Bible, we're going to read this passage right now. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll have a couple people pass out Bibles. It's going to be 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Would you please stand, if you'd like, and, and join me as we read this passage. In the Red Bible, it's page 1001. 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 1. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Please take a seat. Well, earlier in the book of 2 Timothy, we know that Paul's telling Timothy a number of things. First of all, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you're on my prayer list, Timothy. He says, I constantly remember you in my prayers. It's chapter 1, verse 3. Then he says to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to fan into flame your spiritual gift. Use your spiritual gift. Then he also tells Timothy, don't be fearful or timid. He says, God's given you not a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
He also tells Timothy not to be ashamed of telling others about Christ, to keep a pattern of sound teaching, while all the while guarding this precious deposit of the gospel message. And last week we heard about this positive example of Onesiphorus, who unlike the others who had deserted Paul, this guy had often been an encouragement to Paul in his ministry. So it's with this backdrop of Paul encouraging and spurring on Timothy that he gives Timothy some directives for fruitful ministry and fruitful Christian living and service. As a contrast to those who had deserted Paul, he says this. He says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. So in verse 1, in a more literal translation, there's this emphatic, you then, or you therefore. So he's saying, therefore, because of all this, because of this, because of these guys deserting, but this other guy who's faithful, you therefore, this is what you need to do. So we know that grace is the means by which we are saved. It's the, it's the means by which we're enabled to walk in God's will. But even more all-encompassing than that, grace is this sphere, this domain, this arena that we live in because of Christ. The Christian life is lived in grace. We're positionally in Christ and we're in the realm of grace as we live our lives. Look at what Paul says in Romans 5, 1-2. It's on the screen for you. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This grace in which we now stand. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are standing in grace. You're living your life in grace. Look at Ephesians 6. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Again, that's where we find our strength. If you're a believer in Christ, you're in Christ, Christ lives in you, and therefore you're standing, you are living in this grace. There's a lot of concepts and themes in the Bible, and I think grace is one that we really have to understand. It's basically defined as God's unmerited favor. It's at the core of the gospel. We're saved by grace. We're to grow in grace. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And here's the thing. Grace is a great motivator. It's an effective motivator. Grace motivates us to serve Christ. And it's the grace of Jesus that actually sustains us through the tough times. So while there can be other motivators, I mean, it's a great thing to have boundaries in your life and disciplines and spiritual disciplines to give you some structure, that's not often where you get the motivation because when you don't measure up to those things, you feel defeated. But you get this sense of life-giving motivation and strength by being in the grace as you meditate on being in grace, the grace of Jesus. It's a motivator. And what are we supposed to fix our hope on? 1 Peter 1.13 Set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Christ is revealed. It's ongoing. You're in grace. You're standing in grace. And when Christ comes back, he's bringing grace to you. And check this out. In the very last book of the Bible, of the New Testament canon, in the book of Revelation, very last verse of the book of Revelation, Revelation 22:21, The grace of our Lord Jesus 
be with God's people. Amen. The very last book of, verse of the Bible. So point number one in your outline, grow in strength by experiencing the grace of Jesus Christ. This is how you grow in strength. You experience Jesus' grace. When Paul says, be strong through the grace that God gives you, be strong, this is a present passive imperative. It implies that Timothy is to keep on being empowered. Keep on being strong. So are you facing a new challenge in life? Are you in a challenging season of life? Maybe you or your loved one is battling an illness that's gone on for a while. Maybe it's been a less than joyful week in the workplace or in different areas that you're involved throughout your week. Maybe you raised your voice to your spouse, to coworkers. Maybe you provoked your children to anger. Whatever your situation is, take heart, be strong, and be strong in the grace that Jesus provides. See, our culture screams at us that we need to be self-sufficient, that that's where our strength is, that we have to have it all together, that we have to be strong, that we don't need anybody or anything else. And if we have a weakness, we're supposed to hide it or pretend that we don't have that weakness. But interestingly, Jesus repeatedly tells us that it's actually the brokenhearted that he welcomes and is near to. So don't, don't feel like it's strength in and of yourself. The strength is from Jesus and being in His grace. So whatever's going on, however this election year is looking, whatever conflict you're dealing with, we can be grounded in Jesus' grace. And that's going to give us a sense of urgency for the task at hand. You see, the Apostle Paul is facing imminent death, and his concern is for the advancement of the gospel. Later on in 2 Timothy, Paul's actually urging Timothy to leave Ephesus and join him in Rome. So it's all the more critical that this message of the good news goes on and on. If Timothy's going to leave, he's got to entrust this to others who are going to bring the good news to others still. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So Paul says, you've heard me teach these things, these truths of the gospel, and they've been confirmed by reliable witnesses. What reliable witnesses? Well, Timothy's grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, people like Barnabas. These are reliable people. Timothy has observed the real change in their life. When you become a follower of Jesus and you live empowered by God's grace, it's going to spill out and people are going to notice And you're going to be a reliable testament to the good news of Jesus. Last week in chapter 1, we heard Paul encouraging Timothy, keep this pattern of sound teaching and keep safe this precious message of the gospel. And now Paul's saying, look, you've got to teach this and you've got to entrust these truths to others so that they can pass it on. You've got to pass it on. I don't know if you're like me, you really enjoyed uh, watching the Olympics a few weeks ago. I really like watching track and field. I participated in track and field in my younger and thinner and faster days. And I really like the relays. So I watched the, the, the men's and the women's. The 4 by 100 meter relays are so exciting. I've got a picture of the USA men's team right now. Uh, aren't, aren't these guys awesome? Something's going on in their face. Here's the deal. For the last number of Olympics and World Championships, now, these guys are their favorites right there with Jamaica, but they keep dropping the baton. 
It's ridiculous. At this Olympics, they actually did this little piece, if you were watching uh, the main broadcaster of the Olympics, about how for the last four years they've been practicing their passing and just getting in the right mindset so that they don't mess up again. And what do you think happened? Well, they got second place. They thought they medaled, so they're taking the victory lap. But they actually had an illegal pass out of the passing zone, so they messed up again. So here they are thinking they've won, and then they look up, and they've been disqualified. They couldn't pass the baton. Um, Paul is saying, Timothy, you've got to be prepared to pass the baton. You've got to, you've got to live a, a life that's multiplied by being a disciple-making disciple. That's point number two in your outline. Live a multiplied life. What do I mean by that? Be a disciple-making disciple. The idea is if God has entrusted any truth from his word to you, it's not just to make you feel good, to give you a sense of peace and security, though it does that. It's great knowing Jesus and knowing where you stand with God. But it's so that you can pass it on. You've got to pass the baton. This is the exciting part of the Christian life. Leading people to Jesus and then walking that journey with them. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes you can just have this sense, this, this underlying kind of discontent. You're a follower of Jesus. You know, uh, you know where you stand with God. It, you experience that peace knowing Christ. But you just have this sense like, there's got to be more. There's, I should be doing... It, it just doesn't add up. I think if we can become disciple-making disciples, we'll experience more joy and more purpose. And we'll just have a lot more... Uh, general happiness in our walk with Christ if we can get this part right. It's the exciting part of the Christian life. Think about the last time you had the privilege of talking to someone about Jesus, perhaps leading them to faith in Christ, or maybe walking alongside someone for an extended period of time on their journey to know Jesus. That's life-giving stuff. That really fires you up. That is the best Thing, and that's what we need to get back to. You can see in, in the verse 2, there's actually four generations, even more if you take a look at it another way, but of people that this truth is going from. Verse 2, you've heard me teach these things. So Paul's teaching Timothy. They've been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will pass them on to others. So we got Paul, Timothy, Timothy to trustworthy or reliable or faithful people, and then those people to other people still. That's how it's going to work. Well, those of you that know me, you know I'm married. I've got three little kids. Kids are great conversation starters, and it's a lot of fun. But something kind of peculiar has happened the last year or so. I don't know if it's just the general sense of just uneasiness we feel in a political year and just what's going on in society and moral decline and things like that. But well-meaning people, after they meet my kids, they'll often say something like, well, well, we'll be praying for you. I'm sure glad that I'm not raising kids in today's world. Or, oh, man, I'm so glad my kids are out of high school. If I was where you were at, right? Like, they don't mean to be discouraging, but it's, it's just like this theme that I've picked up on. And it, I started thinking about that. And then I was studying this passage, and I thought, you know what? I know that people don't mean anything by it. They're just concerned about the state of the world today. But here's the thing. If you're a disciple-making parent, this is a great time to have children, young children, bring new children into the world. This is, a, this is the perfect time. Because if you're discipling your kids so that they're standing firm in God's grace and they're going to be salt and light wherever they go, 
whether they're homeschooled, public schooled, private schooled, Christian schooled, charter schooled, online schooled, wherever, they're going to be salt and light. And they're going to make a difference for the gospel. So this is a great time. Though it's a challenging time, it's a great time to disciple your families. Now, for the rest of us, we like to connect in a Sunday class or a midweek small group, and that's a great place to grow in our our knowledge and love of God's Word and then put it into practice. But that's the thing, it can't just stay there. It's one thing to memorize verses about what we're supposed to be doing, but then we've got to do it, right? It's part of that discontent. If it just stays in learning about something, but we don't do it, that's where the the underlying distant discontent comes in. So let me be an encouragement to all of us. Now is the time for us to be disciple-making disciples. We're going to put into practice what we know to be the truth. John Wimber of the Vineyard Church Movement, he liked to call this doing the stuff. I mean, I love studying the Bible. I love um, taking courses and being in small groups and all these different things. But John Wimber said, you've got to do this stuff. So we can go to the hospital, we can pray for sick people to be healed. We can feed the poor, we can care for and empower the marginalized, we can train people in ministry, we can do this stuff. That's what we're here to do. So I'm excited uh, to be part of Bethany Church where we can collectively figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do the stuff? I had lunch with a guy a couple weeks ago, he actually goes to this church. He was telling me like a year and a half ago, uh, a gentleman a few decades older than him approached him and said, hey, how would you like to go through this study with me? It's about 18 months. They just finished that study. Can you imagine the impact that had on him? Now they're going to start something else. And I have my suspicion that the younger of the two is now going to follow that model. He's going to, because of what was done with him, he's going to take that deposit. He's going to entrust it to someone else. That was so encouraging to hear. That's what we all want to be doing. We want to be disciple-making disciples. Look at this quote from Eugene Peterson, author, translator of the Message, paraphrase translation of the Bible. He says this, Discipleship is anything that causes what is believed in the heart to have demonstrable consequences in our daily life. This is what we're talking about. If we believe it, it makes a difference in our life. So what, does our, what do our lives demonstrate about what we believe about being a disciple of Jesus? Essentially, a disciple is a person that learns to be like Jesus and learns to do what Jesus did. This is important stuff. For the Apostle Paul, it was really important to get Timothy to grasp these concepts. If we fast forward to the book of 1 John, this book was written about 25 years after the death of Paul. And we can see there that false teachers were already promoting serious error in the same church of Ephesus where Timothy was when Paul wrote 2 Timothy. So the baton must be passed. No one's immune to this. We have to pass the baton, teach the gospel, have others teach it to others. We live in a culture saturated with a view that spiritual truth is a matter of personal preference. In other words, if something is true for you, that's nice, but don't be so arrogant as to presume that that could be true for everyone else, right? It's kind of an attitude out there. Now here's the thing. There is real truth. And even people that feel that way about truth, innately, they're on this quest for truth. They're inquisitive. They're haunted by this discontent until they find it. Um, God is drawing people to himself. So, if you're new to the faith, if you're exploring the faith, 
or perhaps you've been following Christ for a long time, you just want a refresher on some of the primary essential beliefs of the Christian faith, there's going to be a new group starting um, Wednesday nights during Awana. It's from 6.30 to 8. It's called Alpha. And it's a great place to explore the Christian faith, to get a refresher, to get some creative ways to communicate it to other people. I've got a short video I'd like to show you about that course right now. Johnny, you can roll that whenever you have that ready. It starts September 21st. Love to have you join me if you're not serving in Awana. Um, I don't know if you recognize, that was Bear Grylls from Man vs. Wild. Pretty fascinating show on the Discovery Network. He's an adventurous guy, but he's found that his greatest adventure is his journey of faith in Christ. So if you're uh, wanting to explore that with me, I'd love to have you join that. You can sign up online or at the table to my left after the service. So verse 2, back to verse 2. Teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will pass them on to others. The truths of the gospel, they're entrusted to us to pass them on. Now when something is entrusted to you of great value, you're being trusted to care for this. of Whatever it is, it's just of such great worth. You're being trusted. Think about how you value something. For example, how do you value a rental car? versus a brand new car that you just purchased. Okay, think about that. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, I made a trip in the middle of win- in February, in the middle of winter. It's not really winter here, but everywhere else it's winter. I went to Canada for my grandpa's birthday. He was turning 100, so I thought, got to be at this one. Made it to Canada. Terrible weather. I was planning to do like a, th- like a, like a three-day trip, and I ended up being gone for like five or six days because I just couldn't get there and get back in the way that I wanted because of weather. Long story short, I ended up at LAX, wanted to be in Fresno. It's like 1.30 in the morning. I decided to get a rental car, so I'm, I'm just, okay, give me the economy car. It's the most inexpensive. They gave me a Chevrolet Aveo or something like that. But then they said, oh, but we also have this Dodge Charger for the same price. So what do you think I took? I took the Charger, and how do you think I drove the Dodge Charger at 1.30 in the morning? Okay, it wasn't my... I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not accustomed to driving cars with that kind of power, but it was kind of fun. So within reason, within the law, hopefully, I drove that kind of as hard as I could. I had a lot of fun. And then uh, it's a little different if you have a new car. If you have a new car, you're just so concerned about that first scratch or where you're going to park it. Um, I, I think about Jen, my wife. She got a new car back in 2004. We still have it today because the Jetta just loves to keep going. And uh, she took it up to Hume Lake, like, right after she bought it, and it was just attacked with sap and all sorts of stuff from trees, and she was pretty, you know, upset about that, because it was a new car. When it's an old car, when it's a rental car, it's not, it's not the same thing. So for Paul, it's essential for him to entrust this precious gospel to reliable and faithful people who will take care of it and carry it forward. Remember, Paul's about to die. He loves the gospel. He wants everybody to come to faith. This is what he cares about. So because the gospel is worth it, it's crucial that we pass it on. And Paul tells Timothy, look, you're going to have to endure suffering and hardship. There's a task to do, but there's a price to pay. Therefore, Paul says, endure suffering. At the end of the passage, he's going to use three illustrations of those who suffer hardship for the greater goal. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Let's go back to the text. 2 Timothy 2 Verses 3 and 4 says this, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. The idea is this. Timothy's got to give himself even to the point of great suffering to wholehearted devotion to his divine commanding officer, Jesus Christ. Think about the suffering that Paul experienced. First of all, he's on the Damascus Road. He loses his sight. He endures beatings, prison, angry mobs, sleepless nights, a lack of food, and then he actually even had a thorn in the flesh that just nagged him. He had had a lot of suffering, much more than you or I will ever probably experience. And yet, he was strong in the grace of Jesus, and he could endure. Now, Paul's no stranger to this this picture of military. Romans 13, 12, put on the weapons of light. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, "For for the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons. And then you all know this one, Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God. So these military analogies, they don't negate a civilian way of life. Rather, they're telling us, look, don't wish for an easier path. You've got to endure hardship. It's worth it. You've got to have the focus of a soldier listening to his commanding officer. There's no looking back. The soldier's call to service takes precedence over civilian affairs. So if we're a follower of Jesus, our single-minded focus is to please Christ. And when we please Christ, it gives us strength to endure hardship. Look at verse 5. Athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. You see, even for athletes, there's rules leading up to the competition, and there's rules at the competition itself. Early Olympic athletes took an oath before the statue of Zeus that they had, compete, that they had completed strict and rigorous training for at least 10 months before the Olympics. See, endurance was needed even um, just in the process of getting ready for the Olympics. As we faithfully follow Christ and engage in discipleship, we have to endure the hard times as well. Point number three, the gospel is worth it. Embrace endurance. Do you believe the gospel is worth it? Like, What would cause people to give their single-minded focus and devotion to it? Why would someone leave a great job and go somewhere else to a restricted access country? Or why would someone make a complete redirection in their career to go a certain way? Or why would someone give up their time um, serving in the community in a certain way, coaching athletics or teaching this or that, trying to make an impact for Christ? It's because of this single-minded focus that everything we do, we do it in the power and the presence of Christ. In sports, you might have heard this slogan, it's not whether you win or lose, but it's how you play the game. You've heard that one before? Coaches, do you like that one? It's a good slogan, but here's the, here's the truth. Maybe you can resonate with me on this one. I was kind of competitive when I played sports, so I would hear that and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sports, it's important, but I wanted to win. Winning is a lot of fun. I wanted to win. I think Paul might have, based on his personality, he might have had a slogan that was more like this. Whether you win or lose depends totally on how you play the game. How do you like that one? Whether you win or lose depends totally on how you play the game. Giants fans, you probably know a little bit about this. Had a few losing streaks um, over the spring and summer. Uh, don't mean to pull you out there and identify you. I know I've, I've heard that this church there's there's Dodgers fans and Giants fans. So all I all I ask is this: Give me another year 
to decide if I'm a, a Dodgers fan or a Giants fan. I've got to figure this out. I'm a Blue Jays fan, but I need to pick a California team since I'm here. So uh, we can all relate to that. Now here's the final illustration in this passage. He's talking about a farmer. Verse 6, hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. They should be the first. I've got a nice picture here on the screen. This is just outside of where I grew up. This is in Saskatchewan, just wheat fields for as far as you can see. A lot of times when you think about farming, you think about wealth. Farmers often have great wealth. Back when I was a kid growing up in the late 80s, there was this big drought for wheat farmers. It was not a time of wealth. It was a very hard time. Some farmers didn't make it through that time, had to go in other directions. For those that stuck with it, were able to keep with it, they eventually did come through that and see a great harvest. And this is what Paul says similarly in Galatians 6.9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. They didn't give up, and in the end they, they reaped a harvest. So here's the thing. Safety and comfort can't be the primary values of our life that inform how we live out our faith. If we want to live a fruitful life for Christ, we've got to be strengthened by standing in the grace of Jesus, knowing where our position is, and we have to be strengthened by enduring the actual difficulties of life. It's not easy. So Paul has this final challenge to Timothy in verse 7. He says this, Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Think about what I'm saying and then the Lord will help you understand. I love that. Notice the tension there between human responsibility and God's sovereign, gracious gift of helping you in that situation. We, we study the Bible, we meditate on it, we think about it, and then God through His Spirit helps us to understand what to do, how to apply it in whatever situation we're in. The Holy Spirit truly gives us all the insight that we need to apply the good news to our lives. So as I close this morning, a couple challenges for all of us. Number one, are you standing firmly in God's grace? Where are you getting your strength from? Paul says, be strong in the grace of Christ. What are we strong in? Are we strong in our identity in the workplace, in our relationships, in our finances, in the boundaries and rules that we create for our lives? Or are we strong in the grace of of Christ. Number two, commit to being a disciple-making disciple. This is where Christianity gets exciting. This is, we all struggle with, with, with doing this, but let's commit. Let's ask God, okay, this week, this month, Lord, bring someone into my life that I can pour into, that I can do this journey with. Maybe there's someone that you were connected to a while back, you lost touch with them, you want to rekindle that, you want to see how they're doing in their faith and start meeting again. Become a disciple-making disciple. You're never done with this. Whether you're 12, 22, or 92, discipleship isn't a program that's 18 months and then you're done. It's a seamless journey with ups and downs, with various people involved. We're all on this journey of being disciple-making disciples. And finally, endure hardship and suffering because the gospel is worth it. We're not suffering in the same way that Paul and Timothy had to. But we have other hardships. We have other ways that we're suffering, and we're going to get the strength to endure it because of the grace of Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we're so privileged to have your, your precious word. Uh, 
the Bible, Lord, that we can study and learn from at any point in time. We have the freedom to do that, God. It's such a gift. God, would you give all of us a passion for your word to not just learn it and know it, Lord, but to apply it to our lives. And God, we're asking that you empower us to be people that stand firmly in the realm of grace, grace from Jesus. And God, we're asking that you would help us to become disciples that make other disciples, whatever context that we're in, in the workplace, coaching athletics, meeting with friends, sharing our lives with our neighbors, whatever we're doing, God, we want to be disciple-making disciples. Open our eyes to the opportunities around us to do that, Lord. And God, strengthen us by your Spirit to endure any hardship that comes our way. God, we believe the gospel is worth it. We're on this journey with you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.